Chapter Twenty One of Hagar's Daughter: A Story of Southern Caste Prejudice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Emma Mercier. Hagar's Daughter: A Story of Southern Caste Prejudice by Pauline Hopkins. Chapter Twenty One. Time and tide wait for no man. Brains may throb, and hearts may ache or break, but the world rolls on just the same, for weal and woe, whether the grim skeleton that comes an unbidden guest on so many a man's hearth is shrouded in elegance or bare in all its appalling hideousness. It was not until 2 p.m. of Sunday that the secretary and stenographer had time to rest as they neared the close of their labors. Sumner felt a weariness of spirit and a dull aching of the heart that was not due to overwork worriment had removed the fresh heartful bloom from his face but the paleness and thinness added to its refinement and intellectuality while the restless feverish dilation of his dark eyes rendered them singularly striking and brilliant more than once during this wretched time he had been possessed with a longing to be back with his father in their quiet new england home yes this shall be my last year in politics i'll go home and take up the business for which i was born it will please my father as he turned to resume his work with a sigh, he became conscious that Miss Bradford was watching him. There had been a time when he had felt a passing admiration for the good-looking stenographer, and had paid her some attention, but after he met Jewel he had never pretended to give her a second thought. She, on her side, had not resented his desertion, but always seemed to retain a genuine regard for him which had shown itself in many neighborly acts of kindness which the close intimacy of office life often brings about between women and men she had been rattling the keys of her typewriter at a furious rate of speed all day and now with the final pull of the carriage finished her work then she rose with a sigh crossed the room and flung herself down on one of the couches opposite sumner's desk evidently bent on conversation mr sumner you look oh i don't know how you look but i should say a rest would do you good i shall have one when the vacation comes i am going home and shall not return to washington are you going for good she asked in a surprised tone yes he answered as he adjusted a pile of manuscripts and began folding up the papers scattered over his desk washington holds no charm for me she was silent for a time and as she sat buried in deep thought she tapped the floor with one foot in restless fashion at length she said don't think me intrusive or that i seek to harrow your feelings but isn't this sudden resolve the result of the misunderstanding between you and miss bowen i will answer you as frankly as you have asked miss bradford it is so there followed another pause a silence so long that the young man thought that she had forgotten his presence suddenly she spoke again mr sumner i like you i trust you why i know not for my experience in life has not been of so pleasant a nature as to cause me to trust any one not a man surely but to-day i feel a desire to talk on forbidden subjects to take some one into my confidence sumner looked at her keenly as he said significantly it is a safe rule miss bradford to keep one's own counsel i feel impelled to tell you what i am about to disclose by an unseen power do you not believe in unseen forces influencing our acts she asked wistfully i cannot deny that i have sometimes felt the same influence of supernatural powers that you speak of and i do firmly trust that the world of shadows and mystery to which we are all bound may be one of infinite love infinite calm and rest 
for those who have been upright here while a look of pain crossed her face but what of those among us who have been guilty of many sins that is the thought that haunts me to-night she pushed her hair from her face with one hand as she looked up at him why trouble ourselves with such questions miss bradford why not simply trust the judgment that sees not as man sees she felt calmed as she looked into the true earnest face opposite her thank you she said at last simply then may i tell you whatever confidence you honor me by giving shall be sacredly respected i know that did i not say that i trusted you but you have my permission to tell jewel bowen as much as you think fit for it is her due sumner colored as he said i am not on terms of intimacy with miss bowen i know that too she replied impatiently but you probably will be after you hear what i have to tell you i too am about to leave washington when i leave the office to-night i shall never return easter is two weeks off and at easter i am to be married to general benson married general benson impossible you jest exclaimed the startled man to general benson she repeated emphatically but miss bowen we'll have a welcome release she broke in it is a long delayed ceremony that should have been performed five years ago i have a son four years old mr sumner sumner could not answer her he stared at the woman before him with unseeing eyes he could not believe that he had heard aright a son four years of age he repeated mechanically in shocked surprise this is most extraordinary how can it be possible no wonder you are incredulous wait wait she went on give me time i will tell you all it is your right to know it has all been arranged so suddenly that my brain is in a whirl i cannot think she flung herself down against the cushions of the couch and endeavored to grow calm sumner waited disturbed unhappy heartsick over this scene fearing he knew not what he watched her labored breathing her clenched hands and there was a long pause sumner cast anxious glances over at the bowed head opposite him supported on its owner's hand the fire blazed cheerily and outside the wind rose whirling the rain in great sheets against the window panes it was a wild night finally elise bradford sat up pushing her hair back restlessly from her temples and faced him white and agitated all this misery that you have endured for the past month she began slowly all the sorrow you owe to one man he has tortured you fooled you deceived you yes it is true but i-god help me i love him i do not comprehend your meaning miss bradford to whom do you refer he asked soothingly for there was a glitter of fever in her eyes silence she interrupted sternly i must tell you certain things for your own welfare and the welfare of the girl you love i dare not hide them perhaps who knows it may be put down to my credit in that great future life toward which we are all journeying in the years that are coming when you are both happy and forgetful of this present miserable time remember me and my misery with pity sumner could only wait in pain surprise for her to continue she pressed her hands convulsively to her heart as she sat there white as death and trembling all over did it ever occur to you cuthbert sumner that you are the victim of a plot you will speak in riddles miss bradford i must confess that i do not understand you 
and yet you are a man of remarkable intelligence and not a child in the world's ways i cannot swear it but i believe that you have fallen into the net of two adventurers and a daring adventuress have you noticed any intimacy between general benson and the madisons no they seem to be merely chance acquaintances and yet they are partners in crime and i believe that general benson introduced the bowens to the madisons great heavens no cried sumner a great light breaking in upon him at the bare possibility of such a thing being true miss bradford are you sure he asked hurriedly i am almost certain of the truth of what i say you can easily ascertain if i am correct in my suspicions i believe the intention was your fortune for aurelia madison miss bowen's for the general but where do you get your information upon what are your suspicions based surely you have something to go upon cried sumner recovering from his first bewilderment how can i tell you oh the shame of it all will kill me she said as she drew a long shuddering breath your distress pains me miss bradford said cuthbert gently as he watched the wretched girl he was moved more than he cared to show indignant furious over the conduct of this scoundrel in a high place he went to one of the wardrobes and opened the door disclosing a compartment used as a wine closet he quickly filled a glass from a costly glass-cut decanter and carried it to the half-fainting woman urging her to drink it she took it eagerly from his hand and drained the glass yes yes i must go on it is part of my punishment my atonement it is such misery shame she sobbed brokenly i heard he was about to marry miss bowen i accused him of treachery toward you in the matter i threatened him with exposure i told him that he must make atonement to me and the child at once he must do it or i would speak i would go to miss bowen with the whole miserable story and he questioned sumner gently yet sternly stifling his own feelings for the sake of the heartbroken woman before him giving out strength and protection with womanly tenderness to soothe tell me all and be sure that i will speak of nothing that you desire kept secret to have you understand the man known as general benson i must tell you a portion of my history excuse me broke in sumner you say known as general benson is not that his true name no it is not and i cannot give you the true one i have my own thoughts about it however when i was eighteen years of age i came from kentucky where i was born to washington seeking employment i was left an orphan while an infant and brought up by my aunt who was too poor to support me after i entered womanhood she did the best for me that she could however and i started out with high hopes telling her that i should soon be able to repay her for her kindness and care i had heard much of the large salaries paid to government clerks and determined to seek employment here arriving in the city i went to call upon the congressman from our district to whom i brought letters of introduction he received me kindly and said that he would do his best to have me appointed after a week he sent me word to call at the treasury building there he introduced me to general benson who wanted a clerk the general immediately engaged me and it is needless for me to say that i was overjoyed at my good fortune i was able to send my aunt money and for a time i was perfectly happy it is useless to dwell on the details i wish to hurry over this part of my life suffice it that in six months time i had become the chief's victim i am abhorrent to you no doubt you who have been rich all your life may despise me but i had tasted poverty i appreciated its effect on my future welfare and i sickened at the thought 
She paused a moment to take breath, for she had spoken rapidly, as if eager to have done with the shameful and painful details. Official wealth, power, and opportunity were my ruin. I was led to confide in the chief by his high position, and he, like others in such places, deceived me and betrayed that confidence. He was my first lover, for I was but eighteen, and I loved him as we always love the first man who teaches us what love is. I admired his genial ways, his distinguished air, and even his success in his vices was a source of pride to me. He took advantage of my youth to mold me to his fancy and make me like himself. Oh, I can never make you realize the depravity of our elegant chief. For a long time he was content with my love. I was young enough and pretty enough to satisfy even him. But after a while he met Aurelia Madison, and then my agony began. What? exclaimed Sumner. Do you know what you say? Aurelia Madison is one of General Benson's mistresses? That is not the worst thing about her, replied the woman with a bitter smile. Will you believe me when I tell you she is a quadroon? Impossible, you rave, almost shouted the young man. I would it were not true. Yes, she is a quadroon, the child of Major Madison's slave, born about the time the war broke out. That is why the two men found in her a willing tool. My God, exclaimed Sumner as he wiped the perspiration from his face. A negress. This is too horrible. Repeated shocks had unnerved him, and he felt weak and bewildered. Do not blame her. Fate is against her. She is helpless. The education of generations of her foreparents has entered into her blood. I should feel sorry for her if I could, but I feel only my own misery and degradation. I am selfish in my despair. Happy, prosperous people sympathize with the woes of others, but sometimes I feel like laughing at their mimic woes, my own are so much greater in comparison. Yet Aurelia, in a measure, deserves our pity. The loveliness of the negro woman of mixed blood is very often marvelous, and their condition deplorable. Beautiful almost beyond description, many of them educated and refined, with the best white blood of the South in their veins, they refuse to mate themselves with the ignorant of their own race. Socially, they are not recognized by the whites. They are often without money enough for but the barest necessities of life. Honorably, they cannot procure sufficient means to gratify their luxurious tastes. Their mothers were like themselves, their fathers they never knew, debauched white men are ever ready to take advantage of their destitution, and after living a short life of shame they sink into early graves. Living, they were despised by whites and blacks alike, dead they are mourned by none. You know yourself, Mr. Sumner, that caste, as found in the North, is a terrible thing. It is killing the black man's hope there in every avenue, it is centered against his advancement. We in the South are flagrant in our abuse of the Negro, but we do not descend to the pettiness that your section practices. We shut our eyes to many things in the South because of our near relationship to many of these despised people, but black blood is everywhere, in society and out, and in our families even. We cannot feel assured that it has not filtered into the most exclusive families. We try to stem the tide, but I believe it is a hopeless task." Sumner listened to her, bound by the horrible fascination of her words. At last he said, "'But a white man may be betrayed into marrying her. I certainly came near to it myself.' "'Very true. 
and if she had been a different woman she would have succeeded you would have been proud of your handsome wife because of your ignorance of her origin as life real life has unfolded to my view i have come to think that there is nothing in this prejudice but a relic of barbarism perhaps your reasoning is true i will not attempt a denial but i am thankful for my deliverance your feeling is natural certainly i do not blame you she said and after a slight pause resumed her narrative one day the general came to me and told me that we must part i owe you many obligations for your kindness you have made the past few months very pleasant of course you knew it was only for a while and that it must end some day it is past now and we will each go our way just as if we had never met you must know that with men of the world these things are very natural and very pleasant here is some money and he thrust a well-filled purse in my hands my heart was filled with terror and agony but you said that you loved me i managed to falter in a dazed way well perhaps for the moment but can't you understand these things i will spare you as much as i can if i am harsh you press me to it he spoke lightly carelessly to me as i stood before him crushed for all eternity to me who had fallen without a thought of resistance under the charm of his manner and beauty that have ruined more than one woman among those who are above me in wealth and position it is left for men to change quickly he seemed dumb frozen dead to all feeling his heart and mind were filled with the dazzling beauty of his new love the negress aurelian madison he had nothing left for me not even pity then he continued at least it is particularly necessary for my future plans that this affair of ours be kept secret if you bury it in your heart and seal your lips upon it you shall be recompensed finally i will never lose sight of you and the boy but direct that a large sum of money shall be paid to you yearly if not people have died for a less offence than that while he was talking i was thinking deeply and rapidly i felt that my only chance lay in matching his cunning with diplomacy i made up my mind to compromise the matter he was stronger than i i could do nothing at present finally i told him that i would agree to all he asked if he would allow me to retain my position in the office with him and would provide for the boy and educate him this he agreed to do and there has been a sort of armed neutrality between us ever since i have learned much by being here i know enough to ruin him i planned for it and i have succeeded he dares not go against me now and so he has promised marriage and i shall once more hold my head up among honest women sumner felt a great wave of pity sweep over him at the thought of this delicate woman hoping to cope with the cunning deviltry of the man she had unmasked but he could not find it in his heart to speak one discouraging word his eyes filled with tears which were no shame to his manhood where is the child he asked when he could collect his scattered thoughts enough to speak in kentucky with my aunt she replied naming a town if what you tell me is true and knowing what i do i cannot doubt your story general benson is a consummate villain a dangerous man said sumner as he paced the floor in excitement and wrath it is not possible that such things can be and go unpunished you know now why i think it all a plot against you cannot you see for yourself yes i can never repay you for what you have done do not mention it 
i shall be repaid only if you circumvent that woman and all is made right between you and miss bowen it had grown very dark and sumner lighted the gas i will call a herdic and see you home he said if you will come now it is long past the dinner hour we have been here long enough i feel it impossible to stop here longer the place stifles me i cannot go yet she replied i have papers to sort and many articles to destroy as well as to gather up i never wish to see the place again i will stay then until you are ready to go no that is not necessary thank you give me the key i will lock up and leave it with the watchman well then if you are not afraid he said reluctantly he was dazed by all he had heard and wished to be alone when he was ready to leave he took her hand in his and shook it warmly good-bye my friend you have given me renewed hope in after years cuthbert remembered her face with its varying changing tints hope and despair each struggling for the mastery yes she said softly i am your friend but friendships are short made to be severed still i am sure we shall meet again how strange it is that lives are touching thus all the time strangers yesterday today helping each other let us hope so at least touching parting but not forgotten not utterly forgotten there was a new dignity in her manner that he had never noticed in the silent stenographer but there was still a weary listless tone in her voice he pressed her white fingers with his strong eager hand feeling his heart throb with suppressed excitement the joy of living once more he lifted her cold hand and touched it with his lips good-bye then once more someone said once that meant god bless you i could say no more if i knew that our parting would be eternal which it is not i want you to know jewel she looked at him steadily a moment then her face fell a slight tremor passed over her face she was unaccustomed to the chivalrous treatment that men give to women whom they respect the hand he had kissed fell to her side as he turned to close the door of the apartment she was still standing where he had left her with listless hands and bent head End of chapter twenty one recording by emma mercier